0: Good morning, family. Good morning. morning. (laughs) So good to be together, isn't it, this morning? And um, thank you for accommodating some of the challenges we're just facing because of our uh, uh, load shedding and generator. Uh, We know at this point in time that this side of the building is a bit warmer than this side of the building. So if you chose to sit this side, you're God's favorite. If you chose to sit this side, I don't know, you have to discern what that means, but unfortunately just in our systems and everything, for some other reason our cooling system on this side doesn't work as well as it does on this side today, so just please accommodate that, and in general, just because of load shedding, the higher stages of load shedding and uh, the realities of that, it is sometimes a bit challenging for us to keep the building as cool as we would need it to be, because we have an evaporative system, it takes a while. For the building to cool down, actually. And sometimes load shedding just affects that in the higher stages, particularly. So we thank you for just accommodating and uh, just being aware of that. It's my privilege this morning to just uh, pray uh, and with the executive team to just pray and anoint some new pastors that we have that are stepping into their calling and position. So I'm going to ask Jason and Dornell, Pastor Errol and Frieda and um, David and Judy to come, please, to the front. And the exec team, if you guys will join me, I'd really appreciate that. We've had just some movements happening over just last year, and so we've just want to make you aware of those changes and also pray for people that step into new roles. Many of you Um, well, these faces that are on stage are not new to most of you, you know them, you're very familiar with them. Pastor Errol has obviously been a pastor with us in the northern community for a long, long period of time with Frida, and he retired at the end of last year, finally. He was supposed to have retired a while ago, but we kept on asking him to just please help, and uh, so he retired at the end of last year, but he just swapped roles a bit, so now he does as a volunteer pastor, some of what he did as a paid pastor. So, so we're just so thankful for that, and we want to pray for him and bless him in that. Jason has taken over as from Pastor Errol, so Jason, along with Donnell and their beautiful family, will be serving in that community, and we want to pray and just set them apart for that purpose also. And then we're very well pl- pleased to have David come on as a volunteer pastor with us, and supported by Judy, and obviously everything he does, you do with him. So you know, so we're so thankful for. Community members and people that have this heart and this desire to serve you and the people of our wonderful community. So I'm going to ask that you please stretch out a hand with me to them as a sign of our blessing on their gift and on the anointing that is on their lives and us setting them apart as a community for the task that they will fill. David, it is my pleasure to anoint you with the name in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the anointing of the shepherd just flow through you as you equip the saints for their work of ministry. Pastor Errol, we know that you are a shepherd and we thank you that in this new role that the anointing of the shepherd will continue to be manifest through your life. Thank you, Jesus. Jason, I anoint you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are the good shepherd, Lord Jesus, and that Jason is responding to your call to love your sheep, to care for your lambs. And Father, I pray that your anointing will flow through him and through everyone here, for their families. I speak your anointing and your grace over them as they together serve in this community and serve your people. And we bless them and we honor them and we receive them as gifts from you in Jesus' name. And we all together say... Amen, amen, amen. You're so welcome to take your seats. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Then I'm also just aware that it is a special time of the year for many. And although most of them aren't with us, we are very uh, mindful of our children that are starting different stages and phases of their school, career, and education path. And um, so perhaps what I can ask you today is if you're a parent, and particularly a parent of a grade one, because that's big stuff, if you're a parent of a grade eight, that's big stuff also, if you're a parent of a matriculant or a person going to varsity for the first time, won't you stand and we want to pray for you, because we know it's actually all about you, but we're praying for them. And we want to bless them in this journey that they're going through and for you as a family. But alongside that, we're also so aware of all the educators and the amazing work that they do and the role that they play. So if you're an educator, whether that's preschool, primary school, high school, special school, I don't know, whatever school that may be and of any tertiary situation, won't you also stand and we want to pray? For you and trust the Lord just for his grace upon your life also. So can I ask you again? Stretch out your hands. Someone wave them while you're at it. It cools things down a little bit. And just stretch out your hand to somebody. Father, we thank you. First of all, we thank you for every child that has this opportunity for schooling this year. And we think of every child, every grade, every age group, every stage, every varsity student, college student. And we just bless them for this year ahead, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that they would experience you with them every day. We think particularly also of grade 1s, grade 8s, grade 12s that are coming to the end of a long journey, and then we think of those that are starting their tertiary education, and we pray for them particularly also, and we speak your blessing, your grace upon them. We pray, Lord, that no obstacles will come in their way that will keep them from achieving their potential in you. But that they will excel, Lord, in their calling and their path that you have for them. I thank you for every parent. I pray that you you will be with us as parents, Lord. I pray that we would support and love and guide and direct with grace and humility our children, Lord, in Jesus' name. And then I pray for every educator. Thank you that you have called them. That you have gifted them. That you have anointed them for the task of both teaching, educating, and also of discipling young people. And we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that they will experience you with them in every lesson, in every bit of marking, in every activity in a school, that they will become salt and light in their communities even more than before, and that they will always know that they serve you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Thank you for so much. Take your seat. For those of you that stood as parents, please tell your children we prayed for them, and uh, we are very mindful of them and excited with them for this wonderful new year. Well, today is often in the life of our community a time where I share a little bit about what we sense for the year ahead, and and I'm going to do a little bit of that, but I want to actually do today, felt to talk to you and remind us And perhaps for those of you that are new with us, just of who we are as a church and what we're about and what's important for us. Um, But before I get there, let me tell you that, and and Malaika already mentioned it in the announcements, that last year in October, roundish already, we started feeling the Lord speaking to us about this year and what our hearts and focus for this year may be. And um, there's lots of facets to this, but the key word that we've sort of felt to distill it around is the word fruitfulness. And I think what the Lord is saying to us as a community is from John 15, you know, where, where it says uh, there's times when the Lord requires more fruit. And then it talks about pruning. And I think we're in a time where the Lord is coming to the church of the Lord Jesus, but I think also particularly to us as Hatfield family and saying, I want more fruit from you. And so I think Victor's word this morning was so apt of the, of the compost of the previous seasons. Because sometimes the pruning we have experienced becomes the growth possibility for the new season. And I think the Lord is saying, I need you to produce more fruit because the world needs more fruit. The world needs us to show the fruit of the kingdom. And so we want to encourage each other and learn perhaps even more and focus more on what it. how do we produce more fruit. And this is the amazing thing. When the Lord Jesus tells us about producing more fruit, he's not putting a greater burden on us. He's not saying, come on, step up. He's saying, draw nearer to me. Come to me. And that's where the Lord Jesus said, the secret to more fruit is abiding. Coming into Christ more, And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Obviously next week we first have the week of prayer and fasting that we're launching and the week after that we're actually wrapping that up and I felt that the word that Neil stirred and spoke about last week from Zechariah 8 is a very important word for us. So next week I'm actually going to just circle back to that as we start the week of prayer and fasting and then we'll be launch into a series that we've entitled More Fruit and we're going to be talking about just abiding and how can we increase our level of fruitfulness for the glory of the king but for today let me talk to you a little bit about us who we are and what we're about and what we're aspiring to as a church and as a community now for most of you that have been around with us you'll know what our vision statement is our vision statement simply says God's kingdom in hearts homes and beyond I should remember to look at my notes it's always a good idea God's kingdom in hearts, homes, and beyond. And that's just the descriptor for us as a community about what it is that God is asking of us to give our time and attention and energy and resources towards. And I think to sort of get hold of that vision statement, one needs to understand the concept of God's kingdom. What do we mean when we say God's kingdom? Now, a lot has been written, and there's a lot that can be said about God's kingdom, And probably to give a good definition of God's kingdom, you need quite a a bit of a dissertation to describe all its angles and define it. But let me for this morning just use what I think is the core of what God's kingdom is described as, and as I've read up about it, that most people would come to this, the core truth of it. God's kingdom is simply the place where God rules, where God's in charge, where life is lived according to God's law. God's patterns, the way God wants life to be done. Perhaps you can describe it as it's the place that is ordered according to who God is. That is God's kingdom. God's kingdom is where God rules. Any kingdom of any king is defined by the king as the one that says, I'm ruling, I'm the king, therefore this is my kingdom. And God has a kingdom. Now what we have to understand about God's kingdom is that it is far larger than any one of us, and even all of us together. God's kingdom is everything that God created. And the truth is that even if you don't recognize that God is on the throne, that He is the ruler, that He is the king, He is still the king. Amen? Amen? Do you know that He is the king of every person that is alive on this planet? That he is the king of every nation. That he is the king of all of creation. Now if no person recognized that, it doesn't change the fact he is still the king. Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that means nobody crowned him, he is the king. Nobody gave him that position, it is because it is who he is and it cannot be taken away from him. So this earth is the Lord's kingdom. It's part of the Lord's kingdom. But we live in a situation where many don't recognize his rulership. And are actually living to say he is not the king. It doesn't change the fact that he is the king, but it does change the experience we have. It does change the way we live, does it not? I mean, if you're in a kingdom, but you don't recognize the king, then you live an actually subversive life to the kingdom. The Bible talks about rebellion. So we live in a state at the moment where Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is on the throne. But there are many and there are forces at work to say he is not the king. And that we shouldn't live according to his rulership. We shouldn't live like he's on the, king, on the throne. And so that's the battle we are in. But to you and me, Jesus is on the throne. And that happened personally in my life because I gave my heart to Jesus I submitted my life to Jesus there was a point where I decided that I'm going to abdicate the throne of my life that I recognized that my heart is not mine and it's not my throne for me to rule from to make my life the way I think it should be lived and to make life the way I think it's the best But I actually climbed off of my throne and I said, Lord Jesus, I want you to take the throne of my life. And that's the point where I came in under the kingdom of God. And that's the point where God's rulership was established in my life. God's kingdom in hearts. And we have to understand that that for God's kingdom to be manifest on earth, it happens in human hearts first. I cannot be part of God's kingdom through any other activity than, than giving up the rulership of my life to the Lord Jesus and saying, God, I want you to be the ruler of my life. And you know, that's an amazing thing because that happens instantly. That happens with the decision I make. That happens because I exercise my free will and I say, I'm no longer going to rule, Jesus is going to rule immediately. Immediately my position changes from one that is in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of my own sin, the kingdom of my own rebellion, to immediately becoming part of the kingdom of God. That happens like this. For me, that happened when I was about eight or nine years old. I prayed with a friend. And in that moment, my life changed. I moved from the kingdom of self-rule to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. But since that day, I have been Continuing to learn what it means to now be in the kingdom of Jesus. While the swapping of our position from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is immediate, it takes all of our lives to actually practically begin to live that out. How many of you know that? That every day, God is working in me by His Holy Spirit, teaching me what it means to live. as God. If God is the king, what does that mean? How do I live that out? How do I submit to that? Because we've all been born in the kingdom of self-will and rebellion. And it's, it's really entrenched in our lives. And so I make this decision, and, I, and the scripture talks about being adopted, and I'm adopted into the kingdom of God. But now begins a process where The king, my father, started teaching me how to live in his kingdom, what his kingdom principles are, what his kingdom truths are, how his kingdom operates, and that is the changing of the heart that has to take place. God's kingdom doesn't come externally first, it comes internally first. You cannot become part of God's kingdom because you study God's kingdom and you see how the people of God's kingdom behave, and then you decide, I'm going to behave the same. And then I become part of God's kingdom. The only way you become part of God's kingdom is your heart needs to change. God's kingdom must come in my heart. And for many of us, that's our testimony. That has changed in our lives, isn't it? For those of you that are online with us, that's your testimony, isn't it? Jesus came and saved you. Saved you from self-rulership. And as Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. I have stepped into The kingdom where the Lord is the king. And I see that. I I live that now. Because this is the reality of my journey of having come into the kingdom. Is my heart has been saved. Because when I prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Become the Lord of my life. I'm saved immediately. Before any behavior changes, I'm saved. Now every day I am being saved. Because And that's what the Bible talks about, sanctification. I am learning what it means to become Christ-like. And the Holy Spirit is working in me. That which is my inner truth now becomes my life. I am being saved. And one day I will be completely saved. Because the kingdom has come. The moment Jesus came, he said, I have come. The kingdom is with him. The kingdom is busy coming because we still live in a world that is rebelling against God, and one day the kingdom will fully come. But right now, we're in that in-between. In theology, they talk about the already but not yet. I'm already in the kingdom, but I'm not yet in the fullness of the kingdom, because the kingdom is a present reality, but it's a, pre- it's a future reality also. It will one day come in its fullness when Jesus comes and takes up his rulership on the earth again. And when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and say, yes, we now recognize that Jesus actually is the king. That's when the kingdom will fully come. But Jesus said, remember when we spoke about prayer last year and and we looked at the Lord's prayer, Jesus said, pray this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So right now, the kingdom of God has come in my heart. It is busy coming in my heart. One day it will fully come in my heart. And because of that, the kingdom is coming through me on this earth also. The kingdom is changing who I am. I am beginning to see what God's rule looks like. And I'm beginning to live like it is established now already. To me, I know Jesus is on the throne. And I'm living in that truth that he is on the throne. Not one day he's going to be on the throne. He is on the throne. He's on the throne in my heart and my life changes and everything around me. I want to begin to reflect that truth. That's why we must understand that to be a Christian begins as a highly individual reality. You cannot become a Christian because of somebody else's decision. You cannot be born into Christianity. You cannot adopt Christianity in a sense because you just become part of a group and you just sort of flow into Christianity. You are a Christian because of a highly individualized decision you made and we speak about being born again. You chose Jesus. But your Christianity, although it starts as a very individual experience, can never stay a private reality. If the kingdom comes in my life, it begins to affect everything i do and everything around me changes so it's god's kingdom in my heart and then it begins god's kingdom in my home my home life changes and by home i don't just physically mean your your house your your core family i mean i think home sort of probably means more your 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 places of your of your life that those places where you feel comfortable and where you live your life It must change. My brother, myself, and my mother got saved all within the same time period, around about six months from each other. Each made an individual decision to serve the Lord Jesus. And so in that moment, I was translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But then some things had to begin to change in our home. Now, my dad didn't choose to become a Christian. He was an alcoholic that sometimes got a bit angry and frustrated with life and you know, express that in an unhealthy way. And so here I am, I'm a Christian. But living in a reality that is not altogether a reflection of the kingdom. So I'm in the kingdom, but I'm living in a place that is not quite the kingdom. And so how do I do this? I'm so thankful for my mother that in that time began to realize... That yes, she may be living in a difficult situation with a husband that is difficult and that that is not really the type of father the, the, the Lord wants him to be. He's not the type of husband the Lord wants him to be. But that that is not her ultimate reality. Her ultimate reality is that she has a father, a king, that is on the throne. And he's asking her to live a certain way that may be different than how she would want to or think it's right to live. And so she began to teach us, as the two boys of us. She taught us, from little, how to forgive my dad and how to honor him. That was her kingdom truth. If she never taught us to do that, she could still be a Christian and be saved. But we would have faced certain challenges because we're living incongruently with kingdom truth. But she taught us kingdom truth, and that began to change our home. And our home life. It changed my life. Still had challenges. Still had a dad that drank too much. Still had a dad that got angry. Still had a dad that gambled. But it no longer had the power in my life that it would have had. Because the kingdom was coming. (laughs) The kingdom was coming. In my heart and in my home. Isn't that our desire, everyone online and here in the room? That the kingdom will come in our homes. The kingdom comes in our homes because we give Jesus rulership in our homes. And how many of you know that's easier said than done? I'm a parent, Natasha's a parent, and I can tell you it's not the easiest thing in the world to see the kingdom come. Because we get afraid, we get anxious, we get concerned, and we act in ways sometimes that is counter the kingdom. And the amazing thing is the Holy Spirit just is so patient and kind, and he comes around and He. And he works on us. And he convicts us. And he says, you didn't handle that correctly. That wasn't the kingdom. And then we repent. And we say, teach us, Lord Jesus. And so we grow. And we'll never get it perfectly right. We'll never get there. Our home will never be a perfect kingdom representation. But it can be more and more like the kingdom. It can be more and more. And whether that's your home, your friendship group, your your spaces of rest and relaxation, God says, I want my kingdom to come there. If God's kingdom can come in my heart and God's kingdom can come in my home, then God's kingdom can come in the world around me. Because then what happens is what Jesus said, you are the salt and you are the light. I am beginning to live the kingdom and then the kingdom manifests through me. I begin to reflect the kingdom. I behave differently. I become a different citizen of this nation. I become a different employer. I become a different employee. Everything changes because the kingdom has come in my heart. If nothing changes, then the question can be asked, has the kingdom really come? Why did those 12 disciples that spent here three years with Jesus when he left change the world? Because they were living by a different rhythm and a different viewpoint. They've tasted the kingdom. If you've tasted the kingdom, you can never go back because the kingdom is the greatest thing. It's what we and you and I need. And so I'm on a journey and you're on a journey and we're on a journey together to say, Lord, let your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven and begin with me. Let your kingdom come in my heart. Let your kingdom change life around me. And Lord, use me to let your kingdom come beyond. Everywhere. I have a front line. I have been called by God. I'm sent every day to go and live the kingdom. I'm living in that reality now. And that's what faith is called. Faith is seeing what is when it's not yet. Yet. We see the future. As a believer, I'm standing here in a world that says Jesus isn't the king and it's sometimes pretty hard to find the evidence for the fact that Jesus is the king. But I have seen the kingship of Jesus. And it has changed my perspective. So no matter how loud everybody around me shouts that Jesus isn't the king, I know he is the king and I'm gonna live like that now already. Not one day in the sweet by and by, now. Because he is the king. And that's faith. That's the power of faith in my life. It changes. And it changes us. And then the kingdom becomes more and more real. God's kingdom, hearts, homes, and beyond. That's the journey you and I are on together. Now, we have found words to shape that. But that's not unique to our church. I think that's the journey for every community of faith. So how do we do that? How do we pursue God's kingdom in hearts, homes, and beyond? And I think the way we do that is we've used this language to describe by being a community on a mission. I think first of all, if the kingdom is going to start coming on earth, it requires a people to begin to live their faith publicly with one another. To let their faith and the change it's bringing about in their hearts begin to change the way they relate to other people. And that begins, I believe, the biblical pattern is, as Galatians 6 says, for instance, first with the brethren. We live that first here. As I've said earlier, to be, become saved, to step into the kingdom, is a very individual experience. I can do it all on my own. But to live out the kingdom, I can't do it on my own. I need relationships. Relationships. That's why you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is is like the kingdom's manifesto of this is how people live in the kingdom. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You can put the Beatitudes with that. Jesus talks to us about if you're part of the kingdom, this will begin to be how you will live your life. You will show life in a different way. And we begin to do that in our community together. Now we're not a perfect community and we'll never be a perfect community. But as we endeavor to submit to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life and be the Lord of our lives, we can begin to reflect the kingdom, in some ways at least. And we can begin to offer something where people can say, that's different. And again, it's not firstly by our external activities, it's firstly by our hearts that is being changed. So our hearts change in community to one another. In his great book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis writes about the four different Greek words for love. And he talks about the one word, which is the word storge, which is probably the best translated as affection in our language. And it talks about the kind of love that you often find in an extended family where, where there's familial love. How many of you know that you don't choose your family? Okay, let's be honest. How many people that have people in your family that if you had to choose you'd bless another family with them. <laughs> Amen? Siri? Do you want to mention them? Do you want to name who those people are? As long as it's not Mondi, you chose him. So that, you know, that's. You see, what familial love is, is it's this beautiful thing where I build relationship with people and develop an affection for people that I actually don't like. Because they might not have anything in common with me. And when it comes to a community, particularly a community of faith, a community of faith transcends beyond we are, we, are, we are in the same church because we like each other, because we have so much in common. I believe a kingdom community will always be a community that shows diversity, where people will look at you and say, I cannot understand how you can be together in community. You are so different from one another. Because kingdom community begins to operate on that love of God that says, you are my brother and my sister. And even when there's moments I don't like you, you're still my brother and my sister. And I have a community connection with you. I have a covenant in a sense with you. And nothing can change that. And community becomes this beautiful place where we begin to grow beyond ourselves and it stretches us to places where perhaps we would never have gone because if you leave any of us to ourselves, we'll generally stay in the spaces of comfort with the people that makes us feel comfortable. So to me, kingdom community, and I think for us here as a church, we've experienced kingdom community is this beautiful thing where you must be completely comfortable and uncomfortable all at the same time. Because in kingdom community, I come and I say, this is my people. I love them. But I say, some of them, I would never have spent time with them if it wasn't for kingdom community. And you know, some of them, they stretch me. Because they're so different than me. They see things different than me. They value different things. And some of them actually irritate me a little bit. And sometimes I just don't like some of them. Some of them I just want anything to do with. Because it's beyond me. But that's where we grow. And that's what kingdom community does. And so when we say God come in our hearts, in our homes, perhaps this can be described a church as a home. We're not saying a home where where everything will be the way I like it. We're saying a home where I can grow, where I can be challenged, but at the same time can feel loved and appreciated and valued. So our church... We want you to be at home and be comfortable, but not too comfortable. So, some, if at some point you say, "I just don't like that," fantastic! Praise the Lord, because we're never going to get it all right. But it's okay to talk about it, even to come and say, "Listen, we're doing that at church. I just don't like it so much. It doesn't. I'm not comfortable." Then we can check our motives. We can check what we're doing because we're a family together. But you understand what I'm saying? It's community. It's our home. This is our church. We build this church. It doesn't belong to any one person or any one group. It's ours. And the miracle is it, is the unity that can arise out of the diversity. And I think Hatfield is an amazing reflection of that. And I'm so thankful for this church. I really mean that. I know how being part of this community has changed my life. I've been in this community for more than 40 years. It changed my life. In a South African context with apartheid and everything that came with it, this community changed my life. Because of you. Because of more than what I could probably handle. So we're a, we're a community. But we're a community on a mission. We're not just a community where it's like, you know, because if you're just about community, then at some point you'll start saying, Okay, perhaps it's a bit too diverse now. We just want to be us, you know, and, and we don't want more people because hmm. no, we're a community on a mission. What is our mission? Our mission is simply what Jesus said go and make disciples. And so every one of us every day lives this mission. We live it first as a community by first saying, I'm a disciple. And we've used this language of whole life disciple just to describe something of the kind of disciple we're talking about. It's not a biblical word, whole life, but I think we live in a culture which has been so affected by what we call the sacred-secular divide. The sacred-secular divide in Western culture is this belief system that there's a difference between what is godly and what God cares about, perhaps not godly, what God cares about and what God does not care about. And so in Christianity, we have many Christians that believe God cares more about certain things and times than he does about other things and times. And so we have Christianity in this nation which is so focused on what happens on a Sunday morning. Sometimes at the detriment of everything that else that happens in the week. If you ask the average Christian in Pretoria, how's your faith doing? They will make a judgment based on their church attendance. If they answer you the question, it's going well, many of them will mean I go to church regularly. Some will say I'm not going so well because I don't get to church regularly. Some will say because I go to a community group or some small group. Some will talk about their quiet time. But it becomes these little special ring fence times that we say, if it's going well with that, my spiritual life, then I'm going well as a Christian. How many of you know that Jesus said in, or repeated what was said in Deuteronomy 6 where the Bible says the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your Sunday morning. <laughs> no, with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your activity, every moment, every second. Do you know that God he cares equally about what you're doing right now as He will about what you're doing tomorrow morning this time? It's not that He cares less about this, this is very important. Because let me tell you, the more you understand how God cares about all of your life, the more you need community. The more you want to be coming to church because the more church is about equipping and strengthening and enabling me to live my faith throughout every moment of every day. God cares a much for me personally. God cares as much about me being a husband, a father, a son, a citizen, a neighbor as he does about me being a pastor. God doesn't say, well, as long as you're a great pastor, the rest of it, you know, you can just sort of skate by. No, that's not kingdom. Kingdom is, my rule comes everywhere, every place. So that's why we talk about whole life disciples. And let me tell you, the only way I have learned over years is to be a whole life disciple is in community. Because community teaches me so much that I would never learn on my own. And it stretches me. And I have a a responsibility and a privilege to serve you in your making disciples. Actual fact, our job as pastors, as leaders within the church is about supporting you, serving you, helping you do your work of ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 verse 11 says. We get to serve you. Now you serve us also. It's a mutual serving. It's because it's community. But in this church, in our churches, in this community, you must understand we're not trying to build a Sunday experience for you that dominates all of your spiritual life and so that you feel everything in my life is fine just because Sunday I had a great service. But the rest of it doesn't really matter. For us, we're trying to do on a Sunday morning is to say, come, come come as a community together. We are proclaiming, we are worshiping corporately together who the King of Kings is. We are declaring the truth that, that the world seems to forget. We are declaring that that is the truth. He is the King of Kings, and we do that together. And then we're coming and we're saying, I, I may need some healing, I may need some encouragement, I may need some strengthening, or I may need some equipping, I may need some, some just reminding of my mission, but we end in this together, and we We are living the kingdom every day, every moment, everywhere we want. Now, none of us are getting it right. We all fail. But that's our endeavor. And that's why we encourage and remind and strengthen each other that we are a community on a mission. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. The way we can share Jesus together is very, very important in terms of any hope we have of being the light and the salt out there. And I think we know that as the church. I'm, I'm just going to cut through some things. Our mission is to make whole life disciples, as I've said. To live the Shema. And so, what does that mean practically, perhaps? That means for us, church and gathering is about you, and perhaps a lot of it is not just about this moment, but it's about the rest of your week. So when we gather on a Sunday, it's powerful, and it must be, and it must be a highlight for us, and you know, I've been doing this for many, many years, and I'm so thankful for it, I want to come to church every Sunday, whether I'm speaking or not, I love coming to church, it's good to take a break every now and then, but I love it. Whether you're online or on-site here with us, gathering is so important, but so is scattering, going off. So when you're here on a Sunday, we're not just mindful of this moment and trying to create some super experience that makes you feel like, yes, I've had a great Sunday experience. I can, perhaps it lasts me to the week, and so that next Sunday or two Sundays from now, I can come back again and be picked up and inflated again, and then I'll crawl through the rest of the week, and then, oh, Sunday comes. no. This is about, Lord, come and empower us to be the kingdom builders outside, to be on our mission. And sometimes I will come dragging my feet into church, feeling completely defeated because the world is tough and they're rebellious and they're continuously telling us Jesus is not on the throne. And I need to feel like, man, Jesus is on the throne. It's so great to be in a place where other people say, also Jesus is on the throne. And I need that, but it's not just my emotional pick-me-up. Do you understand? Because if we do that, it changes the way we relate to one another, perhaps as leaders and churchgoers. What I've noticed happens in the world right now and in our culture, in our nation a lot, is more and more Christian people are seeing their pastors and their leaders as superheroes. Do you know what a superhero is? A superhero becomes useful whenever a city or a community is facing some evil, some challenge that's too much for them to handle. And so a superhero comes on, ta-da, comes out of the phone booth, and here's the superhero, and the superhero has the power to overcome the challenge that the community is facing. Now, in our context as charismaniacs, we call that superpower the anointing. So you have these pastors that are the says SP, super pastor. And the super pastor is gonna come and they are the chosen person, man or woman, and they, they have the anointing and the gifting and don't worry, they're going to come and slay the villain. And as long as you can come and just be under their influence, just be in their proximity, just be around them, then they will conquer your evil for you. So all you need to do is come to church, be inspired by the super pastor, hear them just, you know, give the message, and then if you can, let them just pray for you, and the anointing will vanquish your problem. You don't have to worry about learning the word and applying the word and prayer, because the superhero will do it for you. Am I talking nonsense, or do you recognize some of what I'm saying? Now, Let me me be frank with you. I don't think there's many pastors that start out in the ministry wanting to be a super pastor. But it can happen along the way. I need anointing to do this task, as every pastor does need the anointing to do this task. Amen? But by the way, so do you need anointing to do what you're doing. You need to be anointed. Do we want to argue about who needs more anointing? You put me in a class with 12-year-olds that are noisy, I don't have the anointing, I'm going to tell you quickly to come and pray for me, lay hands on me and give me your anointing (laughs) if you're the teacher. I don't don't want to get into that discussion. I need anointing and gifting to serve in this role that I have, as does every one of our pastors, every church leader, every one of us needs the anointing. So I, I don't want to diminish the anointing. But do you know this? That no anointed or gifted human being will ever know everything, will ever have the power to overcome everything, or will ever be able to be everywhere all at once. That's reserved for one superhero. And that's our Jesus. So whenever you see a pastor wearing their underpants over their pants... They may need reminding that they are not the superhero, that Jesus is the superhero. I don't want you to relate to me or to any pastor or any of our leaders as we are the superheroes and as long as you can be in our, in our vicinity, we can, you can almost disciple by proxy. You can't. Just as your faith can only come in your life, you can only become a Christian, not because you attend so-and-so's church, because you make a decision to say, Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life. So you cannot grow as a disciple without you constantly every day saying, Lord Jesus, become the Lord of my life in this area. Teach me how to be on mission. Teach me, Lord Jesus, and that's our privilege. That's what we wanna give our lives for as leaders in this church. We don't wanna give our lives to be super people. Now, it's nice, let me tell you. It is nice. You may start off as very humble as a pastor. Like, you know, I'm just God's servant. I'm just so thankful that anybody, you know, gives me the time of day and, whoa, pay me. That's like fantastic. I think every pastor starts there. But if enough people start telling you, you know, you're special. If enough people start saying, wow, pastor, you know, just need you. If you can just pray for me. You know, at some point you can start thinking, that's maybe true. You know, you know, I'm special nobody else can do what I do and that may be true but so I can't do what you do either so I don't know but you know it may be true and then at some point Clark Kent disappears and all you see is Superman and then what the super pastor does is now they have to keep this up they have to keep up this mystique and this persona of being this special person so they get bodyguards For instance, now I've met spiritual leaders that need bodyguards. I'm not saying that's all, but some I'm going, I don't know if you need a bodyguard. Because they must keep distance now between them and the people, because the people mustn't get too close to realize that it's actually homemade underwear that they're wearing over there. You know, it's like a home stitched up super suit. It's not that real. So we can't start doing that. And the pastor comes on stage. And they do their thing for like a half an hour, 45 minutes, or an hour, or two hours, or three hours. And then they sweat, and then they rush off again. Because the super pastor, wow. I just don't see that in the Bible. I'm going to be naughty for a moment, forgive me, if I haven't been naughty already. That's why today, more and more, pastor is not an acceptable title anymore. You must be prophet now. You must be the prophet. You see, because a pastor is a New Testament model of leadership where Jesus said, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Where Jesus said, love my sheep, tend my lambs, go to their funerals, go pray by their bedside, walk with them through the difficulties. Be available to them. Embrace them. The prophet is an Old Testament model of leadership that was separate. That had the gifting and the anointing. I'm not saying there's no prophets today. But prophecy and the gift and the office of prophecy has changed in the New Testament. Why do we have prophets? To do what? Ephesians 4.11. To make you a prophet. To equip the saints for their work of ministry. So we pastors. And it's our privilege and our joy to serve the community. Now again, if you don't see my value and gifting as as a senior pastor here, then I can't do anything for you, and that's fine. I'm not going to be affected by that. But there's a certain level of honor. There's a certain level of appropriate respect towards the position that I fill or any of the pastors fill or any of the church leaders, elders. There's a certain appropriate honoring. But it's the honoring that happens within community. As much as there's an appropriate honoring, I owe you. Because you're a child of God. You're the missionary. You're the servant of God. So, I'm going to wrap up. And then I'll end. Guys, you don't have to join me. Team. Have I said wrap up before? So forgive me. I've lied. Now I'm really wrapping up. So, as a community, this is our vision. God's kingdom, hearts, homes, and beyond. And it's about you. It's about what God's doing in your life. Henry Nouwen talks about it, about the movement of your heart. Perhaps we've, we've changed it to say the slow movements of our hearts. To allow Jesus to become the Lord of everything. And that's really what it's about for us. So we care about you, not just when you're here on a Sunday. Now, by the grace of God, it's not our job to follow you to work. And to check up on you because God gave you authority over your own life it's your job but we can serve you we can inspire you we can teach we can we can journey with you we can learn with you i can't teach you how to be a good engineer but i can tell you about godly principles of how to live life and so that your engineering becomes a tool for the kingdom because of the person you are i can do that but we can do this together So we're not going to be a church that's going to try and be the flashiest, fanciest. And we are blessed. I mean, come on. We're a blessed church. We have fantastic facilities. We have fantastic, you know, we have amazing. I mean, we are blessed coming out of our ears. So i recognise that. But we're not trying to put music together on a Sunday to give you an experience that makes you forget all your trouble. We're trying to point you to Jesus the whole time. And, and these people that are on stage are not super people. They are our community people. Malaika, sorry, I love you, but you're not a super, you know, super Malaika. They're just our community people that are blessed and gifted by God and can serve us in this way. But we're not trying to create the super experience where you come and just feel the anointing and then leave and go do your work week again. And hopefully next week you can come back or join us online. And wow. Do you understand a little bit of difference in that? Let's stand together. If I say more, I'm gonna get really into trouble. So let me stop right there. And it's warm. I can feel it. Whew, it's warm. So go like this. You know, just cool yourself a little bit. I'm just gonna pray. So our prayer as those who are the privileged enough to be serving in this community alongside you. You serve us in some ways. We serve you. God's kingdom in your heart. And Lord, I want to pray that for every person here today, those that are online with us. I pray for your kingdom to come in our hearts. Come, Jesus. Thank you that you're so patient, so kind, so winsome, so gentle, but yet so firm, so Convicting. And I pray that for each of us. Let your kingdom come in our hearts. And then I pray let your kingdom will come in our homes. Whether that be our families. The places that we just feel at home. I pray for that. Let your kingdom come. Teach us to live kingdom. The way we talk to each other. The way we treat each other. The heart. The generosity. Give us that Lord. Make us servants in your kingdom. And then I pray for God's kingdom to come in the world beyond. Come, Lord Jesus. Through me, in my place of influence, my front line, use me to build your kingdom. I pray that for every person under my voice. Even those that are in our community that are not here today. I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come through us. In Jesus' name. Thank you that you have appointed us as missionaries. People with a mission. And thank you that you believe in us, that you anoint us, that you gift us for the task. And I pray that in this year, every one of us will see some victories on our front lines. We will see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray for this church. I pray for all of our churches together. God's kingdom, hearts, homes, and beyond. Help us to be a community on a mission. That makes whole life disciples where we gathered or scattered. Help us, Lord Jesus. We put you on the throne. You are the king. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord go with you. And I mean that. In everything that you face, may he strengthen you and equip you and heal you and encourage you. And um, we'll see you. And please remember those that are wanting to find out more about the church, meet Liana in the connection lounge just out in the foyer. And um, yeah, just the Lord love you. We love you. It's such a privilege to be part of this community. Bless you. Have a wonderful day.